So as we think about this idea that people have most of the same beliefs, many of the same experiences, and yet they can all be in different places. I said it's been this way for a long time. And if you look at John 20, you'll see one more example of this. And I'm going to start in verse 10. You'll know, of course, your Bible probably even says at the top, the empty tomb. So you know where we are in the story. Jesus has been crucified. He's died. He's buried. And then it's Sunday morning. And verse 10 says, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 11 says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. I'm going to pause right there because you have three Christians responding in very different ways. They've seen the same thing. It's a hole in the rock right in front of them, and it's empty. And they know who was in there on Friday, and they know everything that occurred, and yet they have two very different responses. The disciples go home. Peter and John go home. They look inside. They see the truth, but they go home. There seems to be no emotion, but Mary stands beside the tomb weeping. And verse 12 continues, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, what, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Peter and John leave, but Mary lingers. They walk and she waits. And what happens next matters as we journey as a church. In our own chapter, in our own new moment as a church, what happens here on these pages matters for us. I suggest to you that from the scriptures, there are three overlapping experiences as these people of God transition from one moment in Christian history to another moment. First, I'll suggest to you that there's standing and struggling. Second, I'll suggest that there's looking and seeking. And third, I'll say there's clinging and speaking. And I want to take a minute just to say that these are not sequential. The way my brain works, I wish they were. I wish it was like step one, stand and struggle. That phase is over, 37 minutes, great, it's on the clock, you know? Yeah. Step two, looking and seeking, 14 minutes later, step two's been completed. It'd be great if life worked that way, but I don't think that's what's going on. These are overlapping experiences. I think, I think Mary's looking and struggling, and I think she's seeking and she's standing. And as you reflect on these, I submit it to you to, to think about what kind of overlaps do you see, or how do you see her and the disciples walking through this? In, in verse 11, standing and struggling is her moment. She's beside a place that is empty. God used to be beside her. He used to act in her life. He used to be with her. She's used to hearing his voice and seeing his face and encountering him and watching him work and listening to him talk. 
And to make matters more painful, not only is she staring at an empty tomb, but other people have come along and they've looked inside and they've said, yeah, it's an empty tomb. So now she's got this confirmation. Yeah, it's empty, all right. It's, it's not what we wanted. God is not there. And we don't get it either, Mary. And then they walk away. She's weeping and she's struggling and she's standing in that place. God even when doing good, seldom does what we expect. Everything he does is right, but most of the time we can't fathom what he's doing. Imagine Genesis 1. You know the story. At the very beginning, there's darkness, and there's some substantial amount of water that's available to us to describe through the scriptures what is really there at that exact moment. Now, imagine if you could... Just put yourself there. Imagine that it's you, it's the Lord, you're looking out at the water, pitch black darkness, and the Lord says, one day a whale's going to swim through these waters. I think you would say, what's a whale? <laughs> like, if you're stuck in that moment, you're going to be like, what's a whale? What is swimming? Like, you just don't have a frame of reference, because all you have is darkness and water, this abyss, this void and yet God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine because someday out of that water, not only would a whale swim through it, but dolphins and striper and all kinds of other things are going to be swimming through it. And someday the Lord in the midst of that water with all that darkness is going to say, let there be light and there will be light. And then the Lord will say, land is coming out of it and Cape Cod will come out of it. And the Lord will say, we're going to have cranberry bogs on Cape Cod. And Florida is going to come out of it. And the Lord says, we're going to have orange groves down there. And upstate New York appears and there's apple orchards. The Lord is doing what we can't imagine. We don't anticipate it. We can't figure it out. It's unfathomable, the width and the variety. God is infinitely creative. He's often slow to our way of thinking. He's methodical, but he's making life come out of everything. Those dark waters became a place where a whale does swim. He's turning wastelands into wonders that would make Walt Disney speechless. We do not know what he's doing. Neither does Mary. And even though it's Easter Sunday, and even though I'm talking a lot about Mary beside an empty tomb, we need to keep our faith in the resurrection. It's the greatest miracle of all. It's the most incredible reality that he has risen, and Satan is defeated, and death has lost its sting. God has met our needs, and he's done exactly what was promised, and yet it was the most surprising, disappointing, even disturbing sort of reality for Mary to be next to this empty tomb, standing and struggling, surprised, weeping. That's why she has to stand there. She has to stand beside the empty tomb, and some of you feel like your faith's an empty tomb, or you have before. You're in this place, and you're praying fiercely, and you're praying regularly, and you're praying strongly and sincerely and passionately, and you're praying together, and you're praying alone, and you're praying early, and you're praying late, and the volume fades to a whisper, and it sounds like your voice just echoes off rock walls. He is not here. He is not here. He's not hearing you. He's not listening. But the truth is, it's at that moment that moment of emptiness, that moment of confusion, that moment of disorientation, it's in those moments when you've got to lean in. When what Mary did is exactly right, she had to stoop over, had to, you know, like stoop over, look in there. Nobody wants to bend over and really like look into those dark corners, but it's in that moment where she does it. And when we do, she finds out, or when she does, she finds out Jesus is there and he speaks and he sent angels to speak. Nothing against Peter and John who left, but 
I think Mary got the better deal. She stood, she struggled, she looked, she wept, she waited. We don't, this, the scripture just zooms in on Mary, so I can only preach what's here, but it zooms in on Mary. Peter and John walk away. We don't really know what they were going through, but it zooms in on her, and she gets this extra incredible, wonderful experience with angels talking to her and Jesus talking to her. And the message is, you look in the tomb for yourself. You bend over with tears running down your face about your story, your struggling, your standing, and hear God's message for you. I've always been the kind of person who showed less emotion than I could have, so I'm not the sort of person who always acts like Mary about my moments. Some of you, you know, would agree with that and say that was my family or that's my culture, or, or you'd say we weep all the time and we're all about it and right on, Mary, this is great. This is exactly how I'd handle my life. Wherever you are, whatever the temperament it is or background or what your family was like, how you learned it, we can be who we are before God. And we'll see how this folds together at the end, whether you're oriented toward like walking away and we don't read about your weeping or whether you're like, I'm weeping, I'm standing. We can be whoever we are before the Lord. To do anything else would be to act like Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3 who are hiding and the Lord comes looking for them and says, where are you? We don't have to cover up the truth that we have a place of disappointment. We don't have to cover up the truth that there's things we don't understand. David in Psalm 139 said, if I go to the highest heights, God is there. If I go to the lowest depths, if I go to Sheol, which was the Hebrew understanding of the afterlife, this confusing place that they couldn't make sense of, but they knew there was somewhere where people who had died were there. If I'm there, you are with me. Psalm 139 says, so you can be brave when you're hurting. You can stand boldly beside your disappointment or your misunderstanding or your dissatisfaction and look in there. Find out that God is with you and has something to say to you. You can do it this week. Even just sit down, car ride, if you can focus while you drive, however, wherever you can find the space, just some minutes to sit down with the Lord, to go back spiritually and mentally to some place where you think, I still haven't heard from the Lord about this. I'd still like it if God would tell me this and, and say a prayer to the Lord. Lord, I've got a few minutes. Maybe you can tell me something that I haven't heard before about that place. Think back to that spot. If standing and struggling is part of Mary's experience, so is looking and seeking. And keep in mind, it's not linear, like I said. She's not 37 minutes in, and now it's time for chapter 2. This is not a book like that or some story like that. Just general ways that he works. You can look into your own disappointments. I'm saying looking and seeking because she's waiting, she's struggling, she's standing. But then she takes the step of looking. She looks into the spiritual confusion of her life. She looks there. She seeks God there. She's looking around. This is an active concept. She's trying to make sense of this situation. And what she realizes as she's looking around is Jesus is standing near those who are standing near him. Did you notice that Mary is standing, the scripture says, and Jesus is standing? I thought it was interesting as I was trying to get my head around it, like, oh, the Bible's repeating a word here. There must be a reason for that standing, standing. Oh, she's standing, he's standing. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think it's pretty amazing for us this morning. Your pain is worth it. Your hurt is legitimate. Your desire, this thing you're looking around trying to make sense of, something you're trying to get your heart around in your life, it's fair to want to do that. The Lord is ready to meet you. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Stand where you think I'll be standing and I'll show up. Life does go off the rails at times for us. Things fall apart. They're painful. They're struggling. They're disappointments. 
I've spent significant time in the last three years, I don't know why the last three years, but just somehow ended up just like thinking about different disappointments and just being a more reflective season of my life and thinking about things that didn't quite go the way I wanted. And I've found God there in those situations, speaking to me, encouraging me, helping me forgive people, helping me get over something, helping me move past something, getting a different perspective. I wouldn't say that I've had tremendously terrible experiences, but disappointments, difficulties for sure, and speaking of difficulties, how many of you have ordered coffee or tea and not got the drink you wanted? Yeah, I see some hands going up. If we're honest, I see you, Lars. I feel you. I feel you. I, I drink my coffee black because I like it that way. And I tend to just prefer the simplicity of it. I like to go in a coffee shop and say, can I get a cup of coffee? How do you want it? Black. And I just want it to be just kind of quick and easy and straightforward. It's efficient. I would just, I'm the guy who would see, yep, tomb's empty, out of here. I got to like work on that. You know, the Lord's working with me. But I'm like the same way about my coffee. I'm like, I just want the coffee, you know, like I just want the coffee. And inevitably, somebody, you know, really well-meaning people, good customer service, they'll say, do you want me to leave some room? And I remember the first time I got this question, I was like, room for what? like oxygen, like I can breathe and drink coffee at the same time. I don't need like, just give it like to the top. Like I want, I just, just black coffee, the, you know, cup, black coffee. Like, I don't know what the process is. Just put it in the cup and let's go. <laughs> now that is good customer service. They're trying to think about my needs, right? They're probably trained to ask these questions. I understand. But communication gets messy. Even for Mary, John, Peter, communication gets messy. We think it's this simple thing, but they're having to work it out. They're having to think through it. And they've seen and they've done the same thing and they've been in the same place with the same God for years. And yet they're having totally different experiences. Mary in particular, and I just want to point out from the scripture that spiritual disruption during transitions is normal. If it gets a little confusing sometimes with coffee, especially for those of you who would say, well, I want like two sugars and one and a half creams, or I want like the pour over, or like, you know, you got some of you got your thing going on with the coffee, you know, and like for, it gets tricky. The more we start wanting things a certain way, it gets tricky. And this is Mary's experience spiritually. She doesn't recognize Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say she had a hard time knowing it was Peter. She knew it was Peter. She knew it was John. She wasn't like, who are these two guys coming over? To, why, why are they bent? This is a little, he's up in my space. Like, I'm trying to be standing by the tomb, and he's bent over. Like, who is it? She knows it's Peter and John. She's not confused about them, but she doesn't recognize Jesus. Now, we're not told exactly why. To be totally fair with you, I don't know if it's because Jesus was still a little bit bloody. I don't know if it's because if he had different clothes. Uh, maybe she was, like, just super tired from massive amounts of weeping. Like, her brain might have just been fatigued, and her eyes might have been blurry and tired. And who, we, don't, we don't have all the details. What we do know is that even though, she didn't uh, even though she did recognize the angels, even though she knew Peter and John, she didn't recognize Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you kind of find yourself in that sort of spot, you're trying to listen, you're trying to hear, and you don't quite know if that was his voice or not, I think you can be gentle with yourself. Spiritual transition can be disorienting. It might not be as easy as it was before, so be gentle with yourself if your faith or your clarity or your passion is not as fiery as it once was, not as sincere as it once was. God will still do what you need, even if it's not what you expect. Go ahead and do the next act. There are things you can't understand. There are things you're not sure about, but you can go ahead and, sh and, and just push forward. Don't shrink back. 
Christ is actually at work in what seems like a lost cause, a total failure, an empty tomb. He's actually at work, perhaps more at those places than at any other place in your life. So look for the God you seek. Jeremiah 33.3 is this word. And I'll point it out to you because it's to a prophet. That should be a man who knows God really well and has like figured things out. And it's chapter 33. So there's 32 other chapters of Jeremiah. So he, you know, about chapter 33, you figure a prophet's got this thing figured out. But listen to what the Lord says. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. The final layer of transition, if you will, the final sort of circle of this experience for Mary and Peter and John is the time to cling and speak as God does a new thing. We see standing and struggling. We see looking and we see seeking, even when there's spiritual confusion. And finally, we see her clinging and then speaking as she goes on this journey. Stand at the empty place until you're clinging to Jesus and then let go and speak his word. There's going to be waiting, there's going to be disorientation, there's going to be seeking, there's going to be looking, but there's also going to be finding. Mary finds him and she's clinging to him so much, she says, stop, stop clinging to me. It's got to be one of the weirdest moments, you know, kind of just like thinking, I just wonder, like, what happened between verse 16 and verse 17? Like, he says her name, she recognizes him, I imagine him, that part I can get my head around, but eventually he's like, stop clinging to me, stop clinging to me. I think she's so wired. It's just my suspicion, but she's like, where is he? Where have they laid his body? Where is his body? I want him. Tell me where he is so I can take him. Tell me, tell me. I will go get his body. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Where is his body? Where's his body? Where's his body? I think she's zoned in on that so much. And then she finds him and understandably grabs a hold of him. It is clinging to him. And I think he says, stop. She's been wanting his body. And he says, stop because I'm not dead. You're not going to lose me. I'm not going to be gone. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I will be right here and I'll be with you always, but I have something I need you to do. You can't have me because I must have you, Mary. You must go to my disciples and tell them what's happening right now in the garden. She wants to hold on to him and he says, you can't hold on to me any longer because I have to send you. Stand at his empty place until you're clinging to Jesus and then let go and speak his word. She has to go and do his work. Eventually, Jesus has to tell all of us, stop. Stop clinging to me because I have a mission for you. Mary goes from standing and weeping to looking and seeking to clinging and to speaking among his people. There's a time for standing and weeping, a time for looking and seeking. There's a time for clinging, and there's a time for a new way. God is guiding these disciples, steering them from literal emptiness to eternity, from literal separation. Peter and John going over here, Mary staying, literal separation, but unity. From confusion to clarity, that's the path God orchestrates for his people. I'm talking about verse 18. I said we would come back and watch how it all comes together. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came to where the other disciples were, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her, these things in verse 11 to 16. They come back together. Spiritually speaking, Peter and John go their direction. They've got their own emotional path. They've got their own journey. They've got their personality. They respond the way they respond. But God talks to Mary, and then God says, but I'm going to bring my people back together in unity. They're all going to hear what I'm saying to them. And he's doing the same thing with us. We start in the same basic place. We trust Christ as Lord and Savior 
Then we travel different paths. Some of us are standing, some of us are weeping, some of us are walking somewhere else, some are not seeming to go anywhere. But the time comes when Christ brings us together around what he said. We go from separated to gathered. We go from leaving someplace to listening together. I know our moment as a church is somewhere we haven't been in 20 years, but God's journey for us is that we will be hearing God and we will be listening as a family. We'll be having some sort of moment like this where we dialogue with each other. Did you notice that Mary and the disciples hear the same thing more than once? Some of us have to repeat ourselves and some of us have to listen to the same thing twice before it sinks in. I mention this because Mary, the scriptures say twice in verse 2. I didn't read this earlier, but I'm going to quickly read it now. It says, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already gone. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. So she's already told them the tomb's empty. They come back. They look. They walk away. As I said before, she stays and she weeps and she goes on this journey. Then in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the Lord, I've seen the Lord, she tells the disciples. So they needed a couple of extra passes at this thing. My wife and I, well, I can't say celebrated. We reached 14 years of marriage this week. We're going to celebrate it, presumably, but we were more like a sprinter at the end of a race who just like crashes through the tape and like keeps sprinting. Like we reached 14 years. We do plan to celebrate it. But at this point, it's just like we're just getting there, you know, so we're just like sprinting through the tape. And it's like, okay, somebody's got to get in the bathtub. Okay, who's loading the dishwasher? You know, and you just like crash, crash on right on through life. And before long, it's like Wednesday, you know, and then it's Thursday. One of the things we've learned is that I sometimes have to hear the same thing twice before it sinks in. Hallie's not crazy about this trait of mine. I'm not real fond about it either. I write things down. Sometimes she's talking and I'm like on my phone putting notes in like this is what she said to do. This is how she said to do it. Lemons about this big. Do, you know what I mean? It's like get this right. I got to listen closely. She's coming in right now. She could correct me. I, so I don't even understand it the second time sometimes. I got to sometimes God's people have got to talk more than once. Some of us get it right away. Some of us, you know, we need, we need it a second time. By the way, I love that Jesus didn't come to the pastor here. He didn't come to Peter. He didn't come to John. You'd have thought that, you know, given that Jesus himself said, this is Peter, the rock upon whom I'll build my church. You'd have thought that he'd say, Mary Magdalene, I love you, but I've got to follow the script. I said, Peter was the rock of the church. So I got to go talk to Peter first. You know, I've got to do this thing in order. I'm really, you know, just wait your turn, Mary. He's going to come to you. you know, no. Christ goes to Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene goes to Peter. You'd think he might have gone to John and said, well, you know, John is close to the high priest. This could be a whole other sermon, but like John has family connections to the high priest. John's, you know, in my circle. He's got all these connections. He's very close. We've walked, you know, no. Christ goes to Mary Magdalene, sends Mary Magdalene to Peter and John and the other disciples, says, let me explain this. Who of us will hear what God wants all of us to know? Who of us will say, I think I was standing and struggling the other day. I think I was looking and seeking the other day, and the Lord spoke to me. Who of us will it be? He might choose those of us who are new or those of us who seem to have less faith or those of us who aren't quite sure of everything, which would be all of us, honestly. Can we listen to whoever listens to him? In just a moment, the worship team is going to come back up. We're going to sing more than able again. 
One of the things the Spirit did as we were worshiping is help me realize that He wants us to think about who we are and who He is. And then I was here this morning listening multiple times as the worship team practiced more than able, and me being that slow-witted guy, got it. I was like, hey, I'm talking about a God who's more than able and doesn't do what we expect, but is always capable of doing more than able. And then they're practicing, and they're singing more than able. So I'm going to ask them to come up. We'll close by singing more than able again. While they're getting ready, I just want to say that he is literally making the church one because he has one message. It's the word of God to the people of God. Even if we're on different paths and at different paces and working through our own stuff, you're praying, you're processing. Some of you are weeping. Some of you are walking, standing, struggling, clinging. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but just know that there will be a message to God, message from God to all of us because he's speaking and he cares about us. And when that happens, the disciples all come together and it doesn't matter who went home and it doesn't matter who stayed at the tomb and it doesn't matter who's weeping and it doesn't matter who you know, needed to be told twice and needed to be told three and four times. They come together and somebody says, this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord said. And I wanted to stay and I wanted to be clinging to him because it was awesome. It was just me and Jesus locked in a bear hug, just locked in a bear hug, everything I've ever wanted. But he shared something with me and you need to hear it. And that's going to be our experience. That's going to be what happens. He's going to say things to us and we can listen to him through one another. So I encourage you this morning to stand, to seek, to cling, and to speak because he's more than able. Let's continue in worship. When did I start to forget? All of the great things you did When did I throw away faith For the impossible How did I start to believe You weren't sufficient for me Why do I talk myself Seeing miracles
For a moment, I wanted to share with you as we close in prayer to just ask you to partner with us as we've continued to support Emilio and Youth for Christ. He's in South Africa right now. Tori will be going there this week. Stephanie, you're going as well. And several others from our church. And I want us to ask us to pray as we close in worship because he's not done with us yet. Not all of us are getting on a plane, but all of us are going somewhere. All of us have a chance to pray and to join in support. So please do that. Emilio said the preparations for the most part are done. And the Lord has been faithful to help with all those details. And the camp is full. He said they've got every spot filled with a young person from South Africa who's going to come and have a chance to hear the Lord. So we need to pray that God would bind the evil one, that God would make the gospel plain to these youth, many of whom may never have heard it. Some of them may have heard it plenty of times. But we need to ask the Lord that met with Mary Magdalene and spoke clearly to her to meet with them and speak clearly to them. Let's do that. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We give you all the glory and the honor and the power. Father, we have, we've prayed or we've listened, we've strummed, we've hit the keys, we've sang the notes, we've done our part, but a lot of our worship before you is not that, been different, not that much different than the way we take communion. We open up what you've already created and take in what you've already done for us. And we have this unbelievably tiny little part, which is just to, just to pull a little bit, just to pray a little bit, just to praise a little bit. And we give you all the glory and the honor and power. And we ask now in the name of Christ, through whom you have done wonderful things for us, that you would do wonderful things for the youth near Cape Town, South Africa. We don't know their names. We don't see their faces. Later, we're probably going to hear what you've done, and we're going to praise you. But right now, we're going before you and asking you to bind the evil one, to defeat the powers of darkness one more time, because they're already ultimately defeated, but they're still fighting battles whenever they can, and they would love to continue some youth on a path to destruction, but you would love to deliver some youth. Thank you that every spot is full. And maybe this week they even find some extra chairs or whatever. There might be teenagers who are saying, can I bring my brother? Can I bring my sister? Can I bring my friend? And I pray that the answer would somehow be yes, even though I understand that technically there's only so many chairs or whatever, but you are able to do immeasurably more. Who are we to deny all that you can do? So we know this week you can bind the evil one. We know this week that you can call many sons and daughters to faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would through a clear presentation of the gospel, through clear teaching from the scriptures, through close, warm, heartfelt conversations before, after, during. Hear our prayers, Lord, 
hear our prayers. You have connected this church in South Africa for years and years, and there's a chance for that to happen even now, this week. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. I ask for my dear brothers and sisters in front of me and those watching online that they would walk in your grace and cling to you because they find you and find you and find you and find you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.